This podcast was recorded at the American headquarters of the Aetherius Society, located in Hollywood, California, where service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Good evening. Good evening. They're all on this side tonight. Yes. Changing sides. Our men have uh, gone fishing. That's right. There's no men. Well, welcome to our seventh um, podcast, seventh class on the nine freedoms, and therefore today will be interplanetary existence. The seventh freedom. Uh, I'm Brian Kniep, and I'm Richard Casada. And you know, I wanted to start off by thanking um, all the people who tuned in on the podcast, because so far we've had about 400 people uh, every week who have downloaded the podcast and uh, and listened to it. And I also want to thank, um, we've had over $500 of donations uh, from the internet on the podcast. And we very much appreciate that, because we have had to buy uh, some new equipment uh, for this, and so we very, very much appreciate all those who donated uh, for these podcasts. Thank you all very much. One little note to that is that the Ethereum Society is a nonprofit organization, and many of its, much of its income is derived from donations and also the sales of its books and cassettes, prices of which are extremely nominal and have been so for many, many years. So it's very precious to us to receive such donations from you out there. Thank you very much. Now, do we want to uh, do a little recap of um, last week? Last week we spoke of ascension. It is the last freedom, or sorry, the, the last stage of our evolution upon the planet Terra and where we move from this planet in all its experiences in this great initiation and out into this next freedom of which we will be studying this, this evening in interplanetary existence. Well, that's right. The, this, this is the first of the last three uh, freedoms uh, when we actually leave Earth. And, of course, the first three, um, bravery, love, service, and what we're all working on now. The next three which was enlightenment, cosmic consciousness, and ascension, is really when we start to really get to the higher planes, the higher levels on Earth. And the final three are when we leave Earth and we go on further within the solar system. And the first one of the last three is tonight, and that is interplanetary existence. And that goes way beyond our um, expertise, obviously. And so again, we, we will be relying on the wisdom of our master, uh, Dr. George King, to tell us uh, as much as, as he is able to about what it is like uh, in, to be in interplanetary existence. By the way, today we have a very prestigious individual, a long-standing member of the Ethereum Society, one of the founder directors of the Ethereum Society, and the wife of Dr. King, Mrs. Monique King. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Welcome. Now, one of the questions this evening that was posed uh, as we have questions week to week, and will be answered actually by our master uh, in this evening's course. And the question virtually is this. The word transmute and transmutation has come up several times during the course of the lectures on the nine freedoms. I think all listeners, be they old-timers or 
new people would benefit from an explanation of what these words mean. So this evening, we're going to answer that question via the Master King and his direct comments, because in this particular freedom, it deals directly with transmutation. It's one of the essences of the interplanetary beings. Very good point. It's a very great secret that is revealed um, in this freedom about transmutation, which we'll get to in a little bit. Perhaps we should start with our um, traditional first track, shall we? Well, the first track, again, is uh, Mark Sector 6, uh, Pronouncing the Seventh Freedom. So, Mark, please uh, play track one as we all get ourselves ready. Sector 6, reporting from satellite number 3, now in magnetization orbit Terra, during magnetization period, number 1, present phase, the a seventh a freedom will be in term a planetary existence. I'd like to carry on reading the the next few sentences which follows. After the initiation of ascension, the life stream passes from Terra and either returns to work upon Terra or goes to another classroom in the solar system. In this case, the life stream would be born onto another planet through the flame of the logos of that planet. It would not be born through the womb of the female spending some time in a reenactment of its evolutionary process as happens with a life stream upon when a life stream returns to Terra. So as you see, this is when we leave Earth completely and go into a whole different realm of existence in interplanetary uh, life. Continuing with this, there's another um, part of the Nine Freedoms commentary by Dr. King in which he gives a very strong point that he wants to be made at the beginning of this study, of this freedom. And I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs that sets into motion an understanding that will help you because there is a vast difference between a terrestrial master and an interplanetary master. One important fact should be made clear at this point. To avoid any misunderstanding in the mind of the student, the vast majority of life streams now inhabiting the other planets, referred to later in the text, have not needed to pass through experiences offered by life on this earth. The main reason for this is made clear in the introduction of the nine freedoms. It is shown how man, now on earth, had committed the base cosmic crime 
by causing the death of the planet Maldek. After such involution, he had to be restricted by gross limitation or, in other words, he had to learn the basic lessons which could only be experienced on this earth. The beings on other planets, not marring their evolution by such a terrible act, continue to progress on their higher planes of existence. As pointed out earlier, this accounts for the vast difference between Earthman and interplanetary man. It also shows why the majority of interplanetary people have not had to come down to the lowest classroom in the solar system before they could rise up again. This has happened only to terrestrial man. After centuries of being kept ignorant as to his line of cosmic progression, terrestrial man is now being informed in this unique text of his road through evolution. So we wanted to read that on the onset because it does establish a major, major point. Yeah, it's In a way, it's not a very nice thing to think about you know, that we've kind of set ourselves so far back. Um, but it is also a positive uh, thing as well in understanding that we're at least now to a place where we can at least view what our true um, evolutionary uh, pathway is. And so at least we've gotten far enough to be able to see um, almost, you can say, the end of the tunnel. At least we know there is a tunnel and there is a, an end to it. And in the years past, uh, the millions of years past, we just were kind of wandering around in a bit of a, um, not a very nice dream state, really. So there's a negative side, but there's also a very positive side to that statement. It also bears to mind that we are obviously in a state of emergency. We are at the 11th hour. We have been told this by these great cosmic masters. They are coming to give to this world these great gems of wisdom at this time to alert us to action now before the great change occurs. So this wisdom has been cosmically available to great cosmic intelligences, but to Earth we have been receiving in parts certain forms of wisdom. Now we have received the great wisdom, and there is no excuse for not taking the action necessary to correct each and every one of our lives. Well, that, that's why it's been given now is because it, it is, it's, it's very urgent and it's time that we do uh, live up to uh, this knowledge. And actually, there's a sentence at the end. I'm going to jump ahead if it's okay. Always jumping ahead, Thank Brian. Thank you very much. I'm going to jump ahead. Just uh, He kind of gives you almost a warning, Mars Sector 6. Uh, near the end of this particular freedom, he says, Your internal vibrations have been altered by these utterances, do not ever again slip from the path, or if you do, your fall will be doubly hard. And it's, it's a little bit of a warning that, because um, we've gotten to a certain level with this knowledge that we, are now, we now have the responsibility to take it further. And, and it's almost like it's time that we have to do that. Well, maybe it's time for us to play the first extract. First extract? Yes. All right. Uh, this is the first extract. 
is uh, about four and three quarters of a minute long. Mark, let's play track two, please. Now, let us study it a little bit. Mars Sector 6 refers to this Earth as a classroom where we gain various types of experience and then we're ready when we can induce cosmic consciousness at will. We go through the initiation of ascension, thousands of, of lives hence, maybe, and then from there we either go into the Great White Brotherhood uh, on this Earth, uh, as some masters, Saint Germain and others, have done, uh, or we pass on to another planet. And he does give a list of other planets that we go to, and it's not quite what we thought at first. And when we go on to these other planets, we are born as an adult on these other planets through the womb, if you can call it that, or shall we say the flame of the particular planet. Um, we do not uh, spend a certain period, as we do on this Earth, reenacting our life cycles. You know, <clears throat> in the womb, a baby is first a fish, and then it is an animal, and then it is a human. It's reenacting some tremendous life cycles uh, as it goes through this period of nine months uh, in the darkness, as it's been termed before in, in, in mystic literature. But now, when we are reborn on other planets, we don't go through this at all. In the case of planetary birth upon a higher sphere of evolution, the life stream in its ascended body would be requested by a male and female upon that particular planet. It would then be born through the womb of the flame of the Logos of that planet as an adult. So now, and this <clears throat> shows too, tremendous knowledge of the law. Now let us suppose we take a hypothetical case Case A. Case A might be a man or a woman, too. Uh, now, Case A is ready for uh, the ascension. Uh, case A, if it stays on Earth, will go through uh, uh, an ascension uh, on this Earth uh, or someplace near this Earth and be returned to the Great White Brotherhood. But let's suppose it goes on. Now, case A can't enter the life cycle of Mars, uh, Pluto, or, one, or Jupiter, or one of those planets, unless a male and female on that planet request it. This proves, by the way, that there are males and females on these planets of vast and superior knowledge, because they know when case A is ready. Now, this is one staggering fact, and Please use it in the right way. Just think about this for a minute. It'll help you to discriminate. Uh, it'll help you to sort, sort out the wheat from the chaff in these days. And by the way, unfortunately, there's more chaff coming forward than wheat. Know this one particular fact, and <clears throat> I'm afraid, well, <clears throat> you can blow a big hole in the <clears throat> metaphysical platforms of the world with this one particular fact and all its psychological implications 
I think some of you at least can see what I mean by this and what I'm trying to get at in a, in a, in a careful, uh, very kind way in order to help you. Because here we have tremendous psychological implications that somebody, a male and female, 46 million miles away knows when you are ready to enter that particular life um, uh, uh, enter that particular life cycle. Fantastic knowledge uh, and tremendous clairvoyant powers possessed by all interplanetary people. Possessed by you as well when you become an interplanetary person as well. You see. The, the conscious introduction of cosmic consciousness would give you vast knowledge, vast knowledge, knowledge beyond your wildest dreams at the present moment. And that knowledge, of course, builds up as you go on. To continue in this um, understanding, and I found it to be very interesting. And I'm going to read one segment here that clearly identifies the entrance of an ascended master from the planet Earth entering one of the planets in our solar system. This is the master's commentary on page 145 of the Nine Freedoms. It must be remembered that the intelligence entering the environmental conditions of Mars for the first time, even though it is an adult in an ascended body, would feel rather like a newly born baby entering life on Earth. The culture of this planet is so far ahead of anything ever experienced by man that he would have to grope his way very slowly at first in order to learn the lessons which such a high state of refined existence could teach him. This is one reason why it is so necessary for a male and female inhabitant of these planets to act as his custodians possibly for thousands of years while he is evolving through essential sets of experiences which form the foundations of such advanced cultures. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I think it might be important too to just to remind people that um, the interplanetary beings obviously live on higher realms, different different level of vibration than on, on Earth. Uh, and so if if we, it's been said in one transmission, I forget which one, uh, but we in our present um, bodies could walk for 10,000 years on the surface of Mars and not see anybody until they they either chose to reveal themselves or we had evolved to a level that we could detect the higher vibrations in the higher realms. And so I uh, just want to throw that out there because it does seem odd when you have a you know, to to someone who doesn't know the philosophy and the understanding of the of this nine freedoms, and you're talking to someone and they they're seeing this entire planet Mars been mapped by satellites, and they say, "Well, where are all the people? Where's all the buildings?" You know? 
And you, know, you can easily say the same thing about the realms on earth. You know, right here on, in this spot here, there's at least uh, seven realms above and four realms below that people exist on. And most people can't see them or feel them or detect them, but they're still there. And likewise, on uh, other planets in the solar system, tremendous life goes on in the higher realms on those. Well, we're moving forward tonight, uh, so we'd like to go into the next extract from the Master King, and that will bring us into another t arena which we can talk more freely. But we're moving through this freedom. We've gone through the introduction of a ascended master onto the planet. We've right. established that he requires or she requires a male and female custodian, advanced interplanetary being, to watch over for thousands of years possibly. So that's for establishing that understanding. These are new teachings, by the way. This is something you cannot receive in other schools, other mystery schools. The nine freedoms are becoming even more unique as we delve into them further in this study group. That's a very good point because um, as we talked about the, the three previous freedoms where in most religions and most philosophies on earth, you reach nirvana and that's it. Or you reach self-realization and that's basically it. You're done with creation at that point. You're all done, finished. Um, but here we take just that one, um, that one, most people think of as one destination and break it into three destinations. Enlightenment, where you raise the Kundalini up as high as the Christ Center, and then cosmic consciousness, where it goes up to the Brahma Chakra, and then ascension, finally, when it can goes up at will up to the Brahma Chakra, and then you leave. And then we're finding out that even, even then, even at that point, you still got so far to go that it takes thousands of years just to understand how to really expand into that higher state of consciousness on another world. So it, it, it takes this, this one thought that we have on earth and it really expands it into many, many different dimensions. And it is, it's good to kind of be, to think about that and let that rattle around in our minds. It's important to note it because it's actually happening as we breathe and live and think right here, right now. That in our solar system there are beings who live and thrive who obey the great laws of God, who work in harmony together. There is no temple on their planets, as the Master Aetherius stipulates in one of these readings tonight I'll read. So beautiful to think that we have a glorious future away from our gross limitations which we have imposed upon ourselves. And the nine freedoms describes from the very beginning of bravery into love, into service, where we are at now, hopefully, moving every day stronger in our commitment because this is our future. We repeat mm. this, we repeat this, believe it, allow yourself to be bathed in the wisdom of the nine freedoms. 200 pages from cover to cover, this book is full of promise, divine promise. We can't even be as jubilant as we want to from this position. So glorious is this. We should be shouting from the rooftop how wonderful it all is. Well, that being said, let's, um, let's listen to the diversity of these, these wonderful beings on other realms. And this is another extract, and that's track three, Mark. 
The first planetary step taken through ascension from Terra will result into introduction in either the planet Mars, the planet Neptune, the planet Jupiter, or the planet Pluto. This is news for all of us, certainly news to me, uh, was this particular thing. Oh, that's where you'll go. Probably, depending on the experiences you uh, need, depending on your abilities, depending on your capabilities in various arts, crafts, sciences and so on, because even through ascension, people are not all the same. They're still specialized specialists in certain ways. They are more balanced, of course, than normal person. They still have great uh, uh, speciality and great ability in certain ways. Just as Jesus um, and Krishna uh, are different. They have ability in certain ways. Uh, Krishna is, is greater than Jesus uh, because he's had vastly more experience. He's a Saturnian and had vastly more experience. But Jesus has an ability in one way, Krishna ability in another way, and so on. Just as earth masters find some earth masters absolutely uh, good at one thing and um, mediocre at other things. <clears throat> so that's where you go, depending on many, many things. And it's possible too, and this is my opinion, uh, and <coughs> I, I think you, might, you may take it too, that it's, that it's reasonably correct, uh, by the way, that it's possible that you interchange uh, too between planet and planet, because we're told here that you're no longer fixed. I mean, none of those planets is a prison to you. Uh, you, you move between planet and planet. I mean, you, you begin to live freedom now. Freedom is, is something you've worked hard for through thousands of lives. Now you're getting the reward of it. You're, you're not fixed to any of those planets, but you would move from one to the other, gaining greater experience, in, in, in all things, uh, and so on. I mean, it must be a, a, a beautiful state, a wonderful state, this. <clears throat> now, the next step, uh, after experience in, 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 in one or more of those, the next step uh, is a uh, second part of this same freedom, uh, results in an introduction into the planet Venus or the planet Uranus where different experiences are gained. You will notice with Mars Sector 6 <coughs> he always speaks with the greatest reverence about the planet Venus, always. To hear him talk, the, the Venusians are far more advanced uh, than, the Mars, than, than, than the Martians. Uh, it always has been like this. They will always pay very greatest respect uh, to the Venusians because he says, I mean, they're, they're the great people. We are nothing. We're, we're just learning, but they are the really great. They're greater than we are, you see? Well, of course, this, this uh, a master is like that. He will always recognize. It's one of the traits of a great being, you know, to recognize greatness in others. This is one of the most important traits. If a man doesn't recognize the greatness and the ability 
of others where those others are really great, he is not great himself. A small-minded man uh, psychologically feels he can't afford to be great, but a great man can be great and can be big and can go out of his way to recognize the ability of others. Well, <clears throat> Venus and Uranus are then other planets where after you've, you've served on these, then you go to these other planets. And it doesn't mean to say, by the way, either that you're a prisoner on those planets either, because you can still interchange between all the planets. You're no longer a prisoner. You're gaining learning and so on from all of them. And they all have a different function and a different job to perform, just as people on Earth have a different job to perform and a different function, so also have the, the planets as a whole a different job and a different function. One thing that really struck me when I uh, was reading this again today talks about... Um, let me read it. Um, he, talking about interplanetary uh, master... He does not pay lip service to anything existent or non-existent, but begins to be a knower, begins to realize the why of existence. Already he knows the how, and so with his travel becomes broadness. So to me that, that was really staggering when, when you think that how far away our science is to what understanding so much about the universe. I mean, it was just uh, about, I think, 1940 um, where scientists realized that there was more than one galaxy in the universe. 1940s. Staggering. Uh, and yet here, these beings know the how. They know the how. It is an amazing statement. They know the how of existence, how things work, what things are. It's amazing because I mean, so much in the universe to know the how of. And now they're working on the why. Why is there a galaxy? Why is there prana? Why does the sun create in a certain way? And that, that was just a staggering, staggering statement to me. If Brian said how one more time, he would turn into a Native American. <laughs> um, I like to read out of... The, I got you. The, the booklet, um, Life on the Planets. And for those of you um, who haven't acquired this beautiful booklet uh, filled with jewels describing life on the planets. And there are several masters who describe in rather elaborate detail existence on several planets. And one of the planets which I'll read about is Mars, which obviously, according to the Nine Freedoms, we've learned that it is possibly one of our stopping off planets after we've left as ascended masters from Earth. So let's read a little bit about Mars Sector 6 and his statements regarding life on Mars. We have no physical sickness. We have no rich class. 
We have no poor class. We have no class distinctions at all. We have no political systems at all. We have one religion, that is, knowledge of the law and cooperation with it. We have no old age. When a Martian knows that he should disengage himself from his physical body, he does this often by thought, often by certain signs which release him from the physical vehicle. He then splits up each molecule of that vehicle and consciously builds for himself another body of a finer texture so that he might either remain on the planet as an inhabitant of Mars itself or pass onto higher spheres. There are no graveyards on Mars. There are no churches on Mars. Every house, every machine shop, Every mine is a temple. Might I say here that we do not look upon ourselves as being very advanced. In comparison with certain other planets in this present solar system, we are indeed primitive. For many years, your astrologers have considered the planet Mars as the god of war. This erroneous idea was built up in their minds because they did not really know how to use the planetary emanations radiated and radiating from Mars itself. Even the most spiritual power, if wrongly used, can be brought down to the realms of black magic. Mars is not the god of war. Mars and the radiations coming from the planet itself are power radiations. If people upon Terra knew how to use these radiations correctly, they would benefit themselves greatly. You have no knowledge of the science of shape, little knowledge of the science of sound, little or no knowledge of the science or of the formations of crystals, no knowledge of the science of using the positive and negative metals, gold and silver, correctly, little or no knowledge of the great laws, while you are in this position, you will not be able to appreciate and use correctly the prevalent emanations from the red planet. So that's in this booklet. It speaks of the planet Venus, speaks of the planet Saturn, speaks of the planet Jupiter, the people of these planets, and especially about interplanetary parliament and the great reverence for the ancient ones, the great Saturnian lords themselves. Mm. So this little booklet, Life on the Planets, is a great adjunct to the nine freedoms. So those of you who don't have it, please run, get on the net, or call us, and we'll send it to you straight away. That's a good one. Very good book. Well, shall we uh, move on? Yes. Next track. The next track is about magic. And this will be uh, track four, Mark, and it's about four minutes and 17 seconds. For interplanetary man is above time because he is part of it. 
not a part of the result of change as is terrestrial man, but a part of the change itself. In other words, he's a creator. He creates the change. The improvement from a certain set of conditions or the improvement of a certain thing to another greater thing. He creates that rather than lives through a time continuum while it is being created. There isn't a man on this earth that can make that pair of glasses. Never mind create anything worthy of creation. Not one individual, not the whole of the people upon earth, with the exception of the Great White Brotherhood and Babiji, can make that pair of glasses. All they can do is to get hold of certain molecules, put them together in a certain way, and the result is that glass, those glasses. They still can't take basic prime, primordial energy, put it into that atomic and molecular structure and make that out of the atmosphere or out of space or out of ether. Interplanetary man learns to do these things. That's what's meant by this. So they, the people on earth are, are certainly not great, they're small. If anything will teach you humility, these freedoms will. And yet, an important part, even in this smallness, a vitally important part in the whole of things, at the same time, in your humility, remember that too, by the way, because this too will spur you on to greater things. He becomes part of the change. He becomes a creator from the potential. He can't create the potential. There's only one creator, that's the divine source. But he becomes a small edition of the divine source. See how it's working? See how gradually he's getting back to this divine source? As he goes deeper into this freedom, or in other words, he has more planetary experience, he realizes his great powers as a ray capable of manifestation through thought visualizations. Remember in volume number one, no, it wasn't in, vo um, yes, it was in volume number one, where I asked a Martian by thought who took me into the third satellite to witness the initiation of ascension, probably the best description given of it, not because I did it, but because I was there, that's all. Um, I asked him why the, the, the great master from Venus wore his belt with the jewels in, and he says that those jewels vibrate in a certain way, and they give him energy so that he can put his thought visualizations into, into instant manifestation. <clears throat> well, here you have the same thing again. Here is a ray, or in other words, a power, a focal point for power capable of manifestation through thought visualization. In other words, he can think and manifest what he thinks. That's the point, you see. He becomes a tiny thought creator. The word tiny here is the natural modesty of our friend. To us, he's a great thought creator. 
to him he's still only a tiny thought creator. Makes the messages look even sillier now, doesn't it? Discrimination, my friends, it's so important to you. My God, it's important to you. It's a brilliant way of putting putting across where we are and, and, and the direction that we're going. You know, mankind, we, we feel very proud of, of our cars and of our airplanes and our great technology and our um, homes and, and whatnot. And, and what we're doing is, is, is good. You know, we're, we're taking the molecules that have been given to us by the Mother Earth and we're forming them into very useful tools and, and whatnot. And we're finding that this is one important stage but it's, it's, it's a very, very low-level stage. And the next level up is where you actually can start doing these things but using the primary energies, using the pranas. And then with the pranas, you can create actual physical things. And of course, we can create um, uh, etheric things with, with, our, with our minds now. But the next level up, when you get to inter interplanetary being, you can create physical things with your mind alone. And it's... Uh, everything kind of starts to fall into place when, when you think about it in these ways. And it's, uh, it, it starts to make a lot of sense. And that was really, I think, why The Nine Freedoms is so such a, a pivotal book for many people because it, it puts things in order. You, you read it and everything kind of falls into place. All the religions, astronomy, the suns, um, magic, it all falls into place the more you study and read and think about the nine freedoms. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Another current that's running here in the stream of life is that each and every one of us are unique unto ourselves as individuals. And our uniqueness is described by the clothes we wear, our tastes, our love for culture, of the arts, our love for science, different loves, different likes, and many dislikes, unfortunately. With that said, it doesn't really change that much, does it? What we've learned tonight is that when these ascended masters leave our planet and go to another higher world, they retain a uniqueness, even in their great cosmic elevated state. And the master refers to masters having unique qualities, excellent in certain ways, and maybe not so excellent in other ways. So it goes to show that we can't be completely perfect in all things that we do. But one thing that really points itself out here is that we can perfectly try to do our very best in whatever we do even though the outcome may not be as good as someone else's attempt. Every attempt, every aspect of our studies, in this case of the nine freedoms, when you put your heart and mind into the great cosmic teachings contained within, you will begin to learn more about your true self because that light which burneth within your heart, the spark of God, will guide you into that expression, that uniqueness that you yourself possess. In the world of creating from thought, 
we have learned to control hate and diminish it in our life and replace it with love. So as we continue here, we're learning that these great beings are, of course, past this. But they are learning many other aspects of creative magic. There's a segment Brian's going to read here that we thought would be excellent to bring in here because it talks about magic. It talks about the fact that we are all magicians and the Master King is one of the premier teachers throughout history who has really spoken to the people of Earth and said, realize that your thoughts and actions are white, gray, and black. And those are the three forms of magic 24 hours a day. So let's read this. It gives very important tips on what to do with your thoughts. Because, well, we'll read it. This is page 149. The interplanetary master is capable of bringing visualizations into physical living and breathing manifestation and keeping them in being as long as is necessary in order to perform the particular function for which they were specifically designed. After this, like the true white magician that he is, he would take them out of manifestation again by another type of manipulation, drawing the visualization back into himself through the solar plexus center. This is one of the secrets of white magic, and it is an important one inasmuch as every picturization or thought form sent out, whether made of mind substance or formed into a physical manifestation, must be taken back again by the magician if he wishes to retain his powers. This is well worth remembering. It is also worth remembering that if a negative visualization is sent forth, this thought form is liable to work against those who project it and should immediately be taken out of manifestation by causing it to be withdrawn through the solar plexus center so that it does not continue along its destructive way. Even a spiritual visualization should, after its function has been performed, be absorbed back in this way if the magician is to keep his power. All living beings may be classed as magicians, for all thought and action is really an act of either black, gray, or white magic. Interplanetary man knows the laws of creative white magic and strictly abides by them. So that's a... uh, it's a very important lesson to, to remember, and there's two things in there. The first thing is, and he said this before, that, you know, we, we aren't perfect, far from it, and so when we have thoughts that stray, um, you, know, you have a, a bit of anger, you, you send a, a negative thought towards someone, you, you, you know, someone cuts you off and you send this negative thing that way, then don't just kind of say, oh, brush it off, no harm done because the person didn't hear you or feel it. No, because that, that thought, that energy, will be projected to that person. And so you have to stop and physically, well not physically, but mentally, draw that energy, draw that thought back into your solar plexus. 
and then transmute it with the violet flame. We have to start slowly and, and as best that we can, but it's important to make that first step. I think he said in one of the earlier talks, uh, the great saying by the Chinese, of course, a journey of 1,000 miles start with single step. And so let's think about this as being our first single step. And even though we don't see it, we don't feel it, we, don't, we can't really touch it, but believe it's there and try to the best of your ability to pull that, that energy, that thought, that visualization back into your solar plexus, especially when it is a negative thought. There are many diseases rampant upon the planet Terra that patients approach their physicians and complain about pain and the loss of energy. In the statement made by Dr. King, in order to retain your power, consider your thoughts carefully, and when they are obscure and negative, return them back to your solar plexus. You may think that you're nutrition deficient, but you are, in actuality, 50% mentally extending your mind force by having negative thoughts and bizarre thinking in certain cases, and as if they are tendrils, and you are an octopus, and these arms are out, independently by themselves operating according to your thought. And by karma, you're going to have to reap the reaction of your action, your thought. So, in other words, pull in on a daily basis, and this is what last week we talked about having the period of introspection on a daily basis, either in the morning or the night or throughout the day, and gather your forces and see where you are extending your thoughts and weigh them, judge them according to this mandate by our master, because it is a key to your survival of retaining your power, the surviving aspect of retaining your power throughout this life and into the other lives as well. So really consider this. Listen to this again. Read this book. There are several other um, <clears throat> lectures by Dr. King, and he speaks very directly regarding this particular magical act. You know, I think it's also important to to remember that it may seem kind of confusing and different and new and and hard to understand and then when you have all these thoughts you know in the beginning you aren't going to be very good at it and so it's easy to get discouraged and whatnot but in these kinds of things you, you, you can't really give somebody a textbook you know and say a b c one two three you have to work with it you have to work with it and almost discover it yourself. And the only way you can do that is to practice. And so, so set yourself up either a monthly thing or preferably a weekly or even best still a daily where you really kind of start working through this kind of, of magical um, learning. You know, and see, see where you're putting your things out, find out which direction you're going, how you're affecting people, and slowly start thinking of these different things and learn for yourself what works, what doesn't work, and then start to do it. And the best thing, of course, is, is if you possibly can, write these things down. Doesn't have to be long writings, but you know, write these, what works, what doesn't work. 
what happened that was interesting, what didn't happen. And then you'll slowly build yourself up a, uh, a book for yourself. You, you'll be creating your own textbook from your higher self virtually to teach you how to put these things into action. And that's, that's the best way to learn. In the last two days, um, three days actually, over the Memorial Weekend we had here, it's a long weekend in America, and I had the pleasure of meeting a few of the members of the society, new members, and one of the things in our topic of discussion was the practices. And they um, openly admitted how they found it to be difficult to regiment their day-to-day, and their approach to practices was one of work one of some sort of mechanical action that may or may not result in some sort of divine experience or light or visualization or mystical experience. They didn't have... Like a chore almost. Like a chore, exactly. And what I did was responded using, once again, the nine freedoms, the, the wonderful teachings in this glorious book. The master, two freedoms ago when we were here, he gave us great advice. And he likened it unto sour milk and washing yourself and cleansing yourself of this sour milk and making yourself anew. And so how I related that to these ladies, he says, when you go to work in a day and you come home, what's one of the first things you do before you do anything else? Very likely, you take a shower. And you rid yourself of the grime, the sweat, whatever vocation you are in, this is one of the mandatory habits because we feel better. However, we can't see the psychic dross. We can't see the disturbance of our aura. We can't see the thought forms that have been sent by uh, a, a person across the street or the city in which we live in, and we collect it. So therefore... When we have this condition around us, it makes our practices different in our view. It makes it essential, as equally as essential as the shower of which you take daily, because it will purge and cleanse you that a shower cannot accomplish. So when I said that, they went, oh, my God, a light came on them. They go, I see it now. So now, of course, that is, okay, so they're off, they rush, and say, we're going to do this every day now, because they see that comparison. Oh, that's very good. And it, it also, um, it also starts to open up your psychic centers, and that, that's the other big plus. Uh, um, you, you know, you, you're... The breathing exercises, uh, especially, um, you're you're teaching your um, kundalini basically to go up the the, the correct way, go up the the spine, sushumna, and with the the healing and the uh, prayers and the mantras, you're learning to you're sending energy through your psychic center. So you're cleaning out um, all the old thoughts that you've put in there as well, all, all the old cobwebs for you can think of it. And you're just kind of flushing it out. And you're doing all these things. You're cleaning yourself from the day. You're um, uh, getting slowly rising the kundalini over a long period of time. And you're opening your different psychic centers so that you can be more helpful to others around you. And it's, boy, it's, uh, there's so many, 
so many good things that you do with the practices. And you know, another thing too is um, you know, we have a lot of practices in the Ethereum Society, and so if you find that one particular practice is becoming a bit of a chore, let's just say, then you know, put it off for a few days and, and do some of the other practices. Um, for example, if you do 12 blessings every day, um, maybe stop it for a week and do mantra. Uh, or if you do breathing every day, stop that for a week and do uh, um, uh, breathing. You know, they swap them around. Uh, in different times of the month, different times of the, the year, you might find different a different mix might be uh, more suitable to you. So, you know, play around with it. Do different things. And then, then it won't. It never gets now old. Yes. Now we're coming to the, the most, hmm, the sensational, few pages that changes the history, of the occult annals, of the planet Earth, and it changes it by two letters. That's all. But in that's all, it's everything. And in this book, once again, it sets a precedence, as the master will describe in this eight-minute extract. It will be. Altering you, listeners, forever. Forever. This is the big one. Um, this one is eight minutes, because it's very important. And this is an extract, uh, again, by our master. And it is on the AUM and transmigration and transmutation. So Mark, roll track five. This is the secret of creation, it is the secret of preservation, it is the secret of transmutation, it is the sacred word Om. Now this is a great precedent in all the history of the ancient wisdom. A precedent has been caused here and I will show you why simply. First of all, after further experience on those planets, not only not locked on those planets, an interchange between planets, maybe even on all of them, you go here to Venus and Uranus. Now, I, for one, have not had any communication that I know of with Uranus, although it must be a very, very highly evolved planet whether or not it's open for communication, I do not know yet. But if it is, I suppose it will come in due time. And now for the precedent. Now, what I'm going to show you now may not mean very much to you at this stage. But whether it does or not, believe me, it is the sacred wisdom. And it is the most important part of the sacred wisdom. The most important part of it. It's the basis upon which all man's knowledge rests. It may not mean much to you. To me, it's staggering. Maybe because I realize it and have had certain instruction. Now, the ancient interpretation of progression was that. Creation, preservation, transmigration. A-U-M, the mystic word.
Now, it was said that nobody knows who gave this to the ancient Brahmins because it existed before even the Brahmins existed. And the symbol of AUM is this that you see down here, except the triangle. But that's how we put it down. And on ancient Brahmin text, if you ever got hold of it, and some of us have seen it, you would see that as the basis of all the wisdom on earth, and indeed it is. There's nothing outside of that. I defy any man, woman, child, bird, cat, dog, or mouse, or Martian, to tell me one thing outside of that on this earth, and he cannot do so, because it contains all that there is to contain. Three words. See, I told you that everything was simple. It's a trouble. It's not easy, but it's simple. Uh, along comes our friend from Mars, whatever he or it is. And he alters this with about two letters. And he gives us a much, much clearer picture. Here we have the initial creation. We have preservation in matter. We have the individualized spark of God thrown deep into matter. In other words, involution. God saw fit to involve itself. Must have been. We can prove it logically, and it's simple to prove logically. We all admit that there is such a thing as evolution. In other words, to evolve up to something greater. Well, evolution of perfection is not possible. You either have perfection or imperfection. So therefore, if evolution is possible, we have, do not have perfection. Well, we believe that the one divine source is perfect, so, as evolution is necessary, involution must have taken place. QED. So here we have, cre uh, but in, in involution, matter as we know it, we have preservation. And gradual movement towards transmigration back to creation again. A transmigration of the soul principle. So said the ancients. But they missed something. They missed the most, probably the most profound thing of all. They, I don't say they didn't know it, but it wasn't given to the earth at this time, at that time. So now I make history. You may not recognize it, but this is history, one of the most important facets of history. Far more important than your civil war will ever be is the turning of the next page. That's true. It is true. Absolutely. We have here creation, preservation, but transmutation. Now. The psychological implications behind the two are this, that, my friend, transmutation of all that preservation means back to creation again, 
And there is a vast difference, a vast difference between the two things. And that's the most sacred of all wisdom because there's nothing outside of it. Nothing outside of it. There isn't anything. You can't think of one solitary thing that is outside of it. Not anything. Not any of you. Neither will you ever be able to think of anything outside of it. Certainly not on this plane of existence. Neither can the mental or buddhic realms around this earth think of one thing outside of it. The teachings of Jesus was a tiny portion of it. Get all the teachings of Jesus, Buddha, Krishna and put them together, you still only have a tiny portion uh, 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 of that. Because it's all that there is. But this here, transmutation for the angle of the AUM there is something different because it infers that all that preservation means must be transmuted. In other words, you must go back to the source with not only control over soul, which is mind, but all material, all matter. The inference here, the obvious inference here is that you cannot go back to the source as an individual. It's not possible as an individual now. You must go back to the source as a part of a collective principle. In other words, again it infers this. You can't go back even as a Buddha. A Buddha is nothing in comparison with a planet. You can't even go back as a planet because you haven't transmuted matter. Again, it's obvious. You can't even go back as a sun because you still haven't transmuted matter. You can't even go back as a galaxy because you still haven't transmuted matter. You're still existing. So you have to be something greater than a galaxy greater than a lord of creation before you can go back. And that's what this means. That's why to me it's so staggering. It's like a person that says, I want to be spiritual, and they say, right, but I'm going to abuse uh, the earth, and I'm going to buy certain products, and I'm going to discard it along the street and just dump my trash here, and treat the planet in a certain way. Oh, she can take care of herself. It's a big world. I don't care. And yet they think they're holy and they're doing their practices and they're going to their monasteries or their centers and they're acting all this, that, and the other. Well, in the Nine Freedoms, we are told that in love in particular, we have the ability to contact this universal cosmic energy and use it as a transmuting force as a power to radiate it everywhere to everything. And this is our beginning baby stages of being the transmuters that the Master speaks of. In these small but very powerful ways on our planets, we become great. We become that which we will eventually be, which will be spirit, but we would have transmuted matter from this day forward, let's say, often to the distant future, by learning to apply love as the great force. Because love is that energy which we've learned 
is the great transmuting force. It transmutes hate, transmute Ill, illness, transmute, transmutes war. So it does, um, it is the one energy which we can use to begin this transmutation process. And that really answers the question that came up. Uh, yes, in the beginning. The thing. You know, one of the things that we haven't really discussed much of is the Master King. As we come to this, uh, the end of our evening's study group, it's something to think about. In the history that has been written, documented, of the life of George King, when he became primary terrestrial mental channel, he was attacked over and over and over again by the dark forces, really attacked. Now, one may think, how did he respond? What did he do? And for that matter, if he was overshadowed by the Master Jesus or Mars Sector 6 or the Master Therius or one of the number of cosmic masters who spoke through him, there's a segment of a cosmic transmission in a cosmic voice which best describes the counteraction, the reaction of the cosmic masters, how they handle the attack upon their channel. This is in Cosmic Voice, issue 26, July-August, 1962. And I'll read an excerpt describing this counteraction. Master Aetherius, now, before I do vacate transmission orbit, I would like to say this. As you noticed at the beginning of this transmission, there was a considerable amount of interference. We did not reflect this interference away from mental channel number one because had we done so, we would have physically damaged those who sent this dark force against him. We absorbed it and transmuted it. You can all do this, you know. You do not meet hate with hate. Meet hate with its counterbalancing factor, namely love. Meet violence with strong, passive resistance. Meet ignorance with enlightenment. Meet negativity with power. And you will prove that you are ready and you will be given every opportunity to demonstrate your readiness. One last little meeting here. The gist of our message this evening, and he was speaking that night some years ago, and it's still prevalent and still useful information, it's still the same message today, The gist of our message this evening is to make these facts known to you. Come together. Cooperate together. Drop petty differences. and Transmute them in the light of spirituality and use the great powers which will be offered to you during this time. And you can so alter the karmic pattern of yourselves 
of your community, of your country, that greater things will be brought about. You can draw your own picture, you know, in the Akashic records of time. In fact, every thought and action you perform adds a little bit more to this Akashic picture. Will you not think of this the next time you think? Will you not use the greater part of yourself in the right way so that you can draw for yourself an everlasting, glorious picture in these timeless records? Or will you sign your own warrant of involution? You must be the choosers. When you think about it, the legacy that our master left is just amazing. I mean, you, you know, if you take any any of these um, uh, transmissions, and there's over 400 of them, uh, and you can take any sentence and just go off. It's, uh, fortunately, we have uh, our reincarnating bodies to uh, work through all of it, as long as we uh, make sure we protect these. It's going to take us many lives to get through all the uh, contemplations necessary through all these wonderful teachings. Well, shall we do the last track and then do questions and answers? Yes. By the way, anyone listening in podcast land, this voice you're hearing is not Brian Kniep. He's the Native American howl man. <laughs> and by the way... It'll come like, back to get him. Sorry. And by the way, he, it's also his birthday today. He's 51 today. And so, yep. being all your cards and letters, send them to Richard Quesada. <laughs> <laughs> all complaints and I'll sort go to the him. gifts. <laughs> why don't we? Why don't we listen to the last extract? Yes. And let's let's just for a moment let's just close our eyes and just reflect for a moment upon the great great wisdom of the AUM. Creation, preservation, transmutation. Let's just think about that just for a moment. And then think thoughts of great appreciation, compassion, thankfulness for this great karmic lord, Mars Sector 6, who saw fit to give us this knowledge at this critical time in our history. With that, let's listen to the last extract from this great karmic lord. Track six, Mark. A take of this, a cosmic wisdom, a deep into your heart, and a greater realization will adorn. And when it does, And as it does, walk forward boldly into the 
seven of freedoms. I have spoken thus. Raise our hands. Divine and wondrous Parabrahma, we come before thee now in humble prayer, asking that thy richest blessings may fall upon this great karmic lord, Mars Sector 6. We ask that our love and deep thanks flow to this one now. For the great compassion and wisdom shown and given to all the inhabitants of earth. Almighty God, fill this one now and always with thy light. Om Om Om. It is done. Well, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you for number eight. What's number eight? Saturn. Saturnian existence. We're really getting out there now. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for coming. Y'all come back now. This completes the seventh freedom, interplanetary existence. Next week, we will continue our study of the nine freedoms with the eighth freedom, Saturnian existence. Until then, please visit us at www.etherius.org, your cosmic connection. Thank you.